Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I am your host, Ben Standing. I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic, which means today on Monday, I am back in Ashburn. Uh, the team practiced today, but really regular routine starts on Wednesday, and that's when we'll get our first full injury report from the Commanders. But we do have an update on Cam Curl. I reported over the weekend he had a thumb injury that might have required surgery. We got some specifics on that today from the player himself, plus update on Logan Thomas and Brian Robinson. We'll get to all that in a few minutes. But the interview today, a really fun one. Second time I've had the chance to do this. Myself, Grant Paulson, the drive time host on 106.7 The Fan, and Kevin Sheehan host, of course, of the Kevin Sheehan podcast and the morning host on the Team 980. The three of us chatted today about this Washington Commanders team, both in terms of the season ahead, Carson Wentz, the defense, Jamin Davis, sort of Ron Rivera's approach with the roster uh, and, and a bunch more. In addition, we talk bigger picture, kind of, a little, you know, where about the fan base, what would it legitimately take to bring back a lot of the fans who have left, uh, emotionally left the team, we'll, we'll say at least. What would that take? How does the how do the how do the Commanders compare these days with the Nats, the Wizards, the Capitals? Obviously, they're the team that gets most attention, but relative to, you know, where things have been historically, where are they at now? A really fun conversation. These two guys are uh, two of the best in this business and two of the opinions I really respect the most. So I truly enjoyed this. And I think you will as well. We'll get to all that in a moment. Um, in addition to that, if you haven't seen it yet, I've got a couple new stories up on the athletic one today on Curtis Samuel, try to get the positive view on how he is these days. Obviously last year was rough. He admitted as much, uh, but he's got, uh, you know, he, he's in a happy place today. Um, we even talked today in the locker room and if you were on Twitter, you may have seen, um, my, my, my guy Pete Haley, who was on with me the other day, uh, tweeted out a picture, tweeted out uh, a breakdown of a conversation I had with Samuel, where we're having sort of a, just a conversation about the article I wrote. Then we're talking about cleats. Somehow this got into LeBron James. Curtis is a big LeBron guy. And then at the end of it, uh, I got uh, my, my, the sandals I'm wearing got roasted, as the, as the kids say. So you can check all that out. Anyway, fun com- fun article. Curtis Samuel, obviously huge uh, to consider him this year, what that could mean if he's able to contribute a lot for this team. In addition, if you haven't seen it yet, my agent survey from last week, part one was broad NFL topics. Part two was specifically about the commanders. And we did touch on it a little bit in this episode, but if you haven't seen it yet, questions specifically on whether Dan Snyder all his, all that goes around along with him. What does that uh, do for agents when it comes to talking to their players about coming here? Ask them about Ron Rivera, the front office, and are there any standouts in there? And then with Carson Wentz, these agents have had clients who have played with Wentz in various spots, or they talk to people with those teams are around the league. So I got their view on Carson Wentz at this point in his career and Washington's decision to acquire him. I think there's some really insightful stuff throughout, but particularly on the Wentz and Snyder uh, angles. We talked a little bit about that on the Snyder stuff in here, but I encourage everyone to check that out. And if you have any thoughts on these or other topics, hit me up on Twitter at Ben Standig or email me bstandig at theathletic.com. If you want to get Kevin or, 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 or Grant, of course, it's at Kevin Sheehan DC and at Grant H. Paulson. Okay, uh, before we get to that interview, though, some updates here from practice. So <clears throat> Cam Curl, uh, you know, last week we see him out here with a sling, his right arm in a sling, and looks like some sort of a cast on his right arm. I reported over the weekend that he injured his thumb and that it may have required surgery. Today, Cam Curl confirmed, so at, at practice today, Curl's not wearing a sling, but was wearing a cast and was went to the side field to work with the training staff. He then told us in the locker room today that he indeed did have a thumb injury. He does have a thumb injury. He did have surgery. 
he is hopeful to be able to play this weekend, but, you know, wasn't committal or didn't really give any information on that front. He seemed to think he could play with the cast, but we will see. So we'll get more from Ron Rivera on this this weekend, or, or this week, I should say. Needless to say, Cam Curl is a very vital member of this defense. He is the most versatile piece in the secondary, someone Jack Del Rio can use in the box, in deep center field, in the slot, and in other spots as well. So would not be great if Cam Curl's unavailable. Derek Forrest would would likely fill in. He's been the third safety throughout camp. So um, uh, something else to keep in mind on that front. Uh, Logan Thomas told us today that he feels good. His knee feels good. Um, but no decision has been made yet on whether he'll be able to play this week. Um, all four tight ends were out on the practice field, so that's a good sign. Whether they will, all will be available is to be determined. And Brian Robinson, um, <clears throat> Rivera said here that Robinson is, sounds like he's currently doing his rehab away from the facility, but that it's getting closer that he would be doing it inside the facility, which would be an indication that he is, you know, moving towards the football side of the recovery as opposed to just the general health side. But again, no, no, no specific update. We just know that Robinson's out at least the first four games uh, following, of course, his brutal attack uh, a week or so ago uh, where he was shot twice. Uh, so some positive information there but what that means long term to be determined um all right that's kind of the gist here from ashburn uh well again more conversations with the team with the rivera the players throughout this week we're, we're back in the locker room we get rivera at least a couple times a week along with the coordinators carson wentz and others so plenty more to discuss here and we will but for right now I'm excited to have you guys hear this conversation with Grant Paulson, Kevin Sheehan, and myself. Uh, I got to do this with them. I think it was either really early this year or last year, and I've been waiting to get them and decided let's see if we could do it the first week of the year. Boom, here we are. So let's get to it. Myself, Kevin Sheehan, Grant Paulson here on the Standard Groom Only Podcast. All right. Joining the podcast as promised, he is, of course, the morning drive time host of on the team 980 host of the very popular Kevin Sheehan podcast. He is Kevin Sheehan. It would be weird, weird if I said it, you were, you were somebody else, but if your name is on the podcast, I think that's like the height of fame and popularity. If you get your just flat out name on the podcast. Well, I guess because when I launched the podcast, it was just me. The truth is like, if I go back to some of the shows that I was a part of, like the sports fix with Tommy is a perfect example. It was recommended to me in that moment that I put my name on the show. And I said, I don't want to do that. I don't want it to be that. And I wasn't, I wasn't super confident in myself at that time. I had only been doing what I had been doing for a few years at that point. And so we came up with a new name. But yeah, the podcast, everybody says when you do this, by the way, your, your podcast doesn't have your name on it. But people will say that it's better to have your name on it. I, well, I, but no, I'm, I'm with I'm you. I didn't want. I didn't realistically. I'm not, your name my, is on it though. What right, am I right, right. I, yeah. I wanted to figure out a play on it, like sort of like Zach yeah. Lowe with the low post kind of thing. Sure. And so yeah, came up with uh, came up with that. Um, also joining us here on the podcast, he is the of course the afternoon drive time host over on 106.7. He's checking in here on the Zoom, and we're just jumping right in. He is of course Grant Paulson. This is the second time we've had, this is like, you know, the, in the Godfather, bringing the families together, except you guys are now actually on the same team, which is a whole other been story. On the same team, yeah. Yeah. Bizarre. Grant, are you there? I am. How are you guys? What's up, Grant? Chilling, chilling. Well, this, this is, look, this is, even though you guys are, you know, it's not a feuds anymore between the stations, you guys are all under one umbrella. It's still unique to have you both here together. So I appreciate the time uh, we're doing that uh, I'm talking to, to everybody as the team is practicing right now. So at some point here, I'll have to, to roll out, but uh, I appreciate you guys being here. Uh, I just to get the conversation going and I know I won't have to set you two up <laughs> a, a lot. Um, we'll get to like records predictions and all that later, but vibe is always a different deal. Cause while record prediction is a lot of guessing, the vibe is what you feel in the moment. And as two guys who have done this for a long time and talked about this team, Grant can start with you. 
what's your vibe right now? What for you? What are you feeling? What what do you what's your sense in talking to people? What what's your vibe of this team going into it? What's a pivotal year? So I felt pretty good about this team coming into the season just based on their schedule. Uh, the fact that I think the conference is down. I think the NFC is as mediocre as it's been in a long time. And I think the NFC East specifically is pretty average. I think Dallas is not as good as they were last year. Everyone's very high on the Eagles and I might pick them to win the division, but I, I don't trust Jalen hurts all that much. I think otherwise they're really good. Uh, and then you got the giants who are probably worse than Washington. So you add those two things to the fact that they have one of the easiest schedules in football, according to sharp analytics. And uh, I, I like their chances to impress. I mean, I didn't like their off season. I thought they were uh, unnecessarily um, inactive. I thought that they had more money to spend than they did. I don't really get what their plan was or if they had one defensively, it doesn't make sense. I think they're, thin at a lot of spots. So it's less an endorsement of how they've operated the last year and more an indictment on the division, the conference and, and the schedule. But I thought nine and 10 wins w was possible and maybe even likely. I think they've upgraded a quarterback. Having said that, you know, with uh, the chase young four game uh, setback, which I wasn't anticipating until Rivera made that news early on. And then, um, you know, seeing what happened with Brian Robinson, watching them in the preseason have some of their issues on D I guess I've hedged a little bit now where I'm more in the, the eight or nine win bucket, but if they don't win nine games, I think everyone should be really disappointed. I mean, there's no reason with this schedule in the third year of a regime that you shouldn't be able to do that. Yeah. My vibe is what it is always when it comes to the NFL, there are like, you know, two or three teams you're pretty sure, but are going to be really good two to three that you think are going to really stink. And then the other 25, it's, you know, it's the most unpredictable sports league uh, that we that we follow. And every year is a different year. Every week is a different week. I was reading Belichick last week who said, you really don't know anything about your team until five or six weeks into the regular season, which is why the preseason is such a joke to get, you know, worked up one way or the other. Um so my vibe is I, I honestly have no idea. With that said, I do think that they're better on paper than they've been in a while. And the biggest reason for that is, even though I'm not a big Carson Wentz fan and I wasn't a huge fan of the trade, he is the best quarterback they've had potentially ceiling-wise since Kirk. And because of that, they should be a more competitive team offensively. The Chase Young thing that Grant pointed out, I think, is a big blow because he is still on their roster in terms of, you know, potentially being a star player, one of the two or three with that kind of potential. And I think after the disappointment of the first seven and a half or eight games last year before the injury, I, I think he was primed for a big year three, but obviously he's not going to be well enough. And so it's going to be hard to judge him. Uh, in this third year, and we may end up finding out that really 2023 is the next measuring stick for him. I think this team, you know, is not the worst coach team. They're far from the best coach team. They don't have the worst talent. They don't have the best talent. This schedule game, I never play that because year in and year out, you get fooled by that all of the time. Um, but I would agree with you in the division. I think Dallas might be a little bit, you know, overhyped. I think Philadelphia may be a little bit underhyped. I do think that Jalen Hurts has a chance to, to, to take another step forward. And if he does, the rest of that roster is debatably the best roster in the NFC, minus the quarterback. Uh, they've got the best offensive line, debatably, in the league. They've got great skilled position players with the addition of A.J. Brown. They added defensively a ton. Plus, they get you know a guy like Brandon Graham back. Um I think Philadelphia is the team that if Jalen Hurts takes a step forward as a passer, I think they win 12 games and they run away with the division. But um, I don't know. It's where I am every year with this team, with the exception of the years when they've known, when we've known they weren't really good. And that is if they stay healthy, if Wentz is the best thing they've had since Kirk, um, you know, if they, you know, if they get a couple of breaks here or there, they can win nine games. 
You know, I think that they could be a nine-win team and be in contention for, you know, that six or seven spot in the NFC. Yeah, I think we're all in the general the same range. And I, I'm kind of grand. I'm kind of with you. Like, the level of optimism I had, because I'm not saying was screaming or crazy high, but has been tampered down a bit. I think the Brian Robinson situation is pretty significant because not just from a player talent standpoint, but from a game plan standpoint that they really want to have that consistent interior run game to complement Wentz, ball control, things like that. And now we'll have to see. I think Jonathan Williams will probably get some work, but that's not the same thing as uh, Brian Robinson looked so good. Uh, I'm As I said, I'm at practice right now, Cam Curl, who is probably the, the ultimate chess piece they have on defense. He's currently on the side field wearing a, wearing uh, some sort of a cast on his right right arm right wrist to help support uh thumb injury and that's that's now up in the air and then we already have the Carson Wentz thing and you know the upside is evident but at the same point we got to see it and then you have the third down defense it was such a mess as we know last year and then in the preseason they can't the, the starters don't stop anybody so like th- there's reason to be optimistic because of the Wentz but oh, man and, and and this is where I'm like always interested with outside opinion of those whose whose opinions I respect because I'm so in the bubble watching this every day that sometimes I lose perspective. So that's why I'm I'm fascinated to hear what you guys have to say um, about this. Um, Kevin, is there one thing like week one will be the first time we see anything. Is there one thing that you were definitely going to be, maybe Wentz is the obvious answer, but is there one thing you're like, I need to see this in this game before I can really have a a good sense of what's going to happen? Well, I mean, I think Wentz is the obvious answer to that. And, you know, and it may take a few weeks before we really have an answer to, to, to whether or not he's, you know, whether or not they made the right choice in trading for him, which was kind of their last choice. Um, but I guess, you know, are they improved on defense? They were horrific on defense last year. They couldn't get off the field on third down. You know, I think that the run defense numbers are a little bit misleading because they played so many teams with great quarterbacks and great dynamic, you know, passing attacks. And this year their schedule is dominated by teams that were really good rush offensive teams um, in the NFL last year. Now, again, things could change, but the Eagles were one of the best rush offenses. Tennessee, the same thing. Minnesota was injured last year, you know, running back. But if Cook's back, they can run the football. The Browns, the 49ers can really run the football. Um, so, uh, the Colts, obviously that uh, they have on the schedule can really run the football. So, you know, will they be better on defense? Can they get stops? Can they get off the field or are we going to just sit there and watch teams convert third and sevens and third and nines week in and week out at a 48% clip that would be painful. And I think would lead to maybe, you know, which would be kind of a bold prediction kind of thing. Although I think everybody's kind of on this and that is, you know, if it doesn't work defensively in the first half of this season, you know, could Del Rio be in trouble at the, you know, in, in late October? He's, there's got to be a big change defensively from where they were, which, by the way, leads me to this. It's amazing. And this is the NFL for you. Last year, we're all so convinced about how great they're going to be on defense. And we're not sure about them offensively. And this year, a year later, you feel like they should be really improved on offense, but are they going to be any good on defense? That's the NFL for you when you don't have an elite quarterback. Things change so quickly year to year. Yeah, it's so true. And obviously there's reasons for how we feel. The draft Jahan Dotson in round one to be your wide receiver two, and Curtis Samuel theoretically will be healthy. So it's almost like two-thirds of your top trio at wide receiver act are going to be brand new and potentially explosive and really helpful, uh, which in a passing league is a big deal. I'm going to double down with Kevin though. And I would even honestly put this ahead of Wentz to to be frank, like Wentz to me, I think we kind of know what Wentz is. Wentz is going to be better than Heineke and he's not going to probably be good enough to get you through a playoff run. He's somewhere in that middling pack in that 17 to 22 range in the NFL. What I'm fascinated by is if they're right or not about all these guys that they like more than a lot of us do on defense or that they just have doubled down on, uh, let's go in order. I mean, Jamin Davis, 
they didn't just not address linebacker by upgrading. They did nothing at the position. I mean, after cutdown day, at one point, they had three linebackers on the team, including Milo Eifler. And it was like the same group that they had last year. I, I would Cole just say, Holcomb, Grant, Grant, I would just say they arguably regressed with the addition of Bostic because that, so yeah. to bring back the guy from last year, you're like, who is it, like a replacement level player at best? That's your move. That, right. What, that, that's crazy. But go ahead. It, it is. It's nuts. And, but my, I guess my point is like, I, I Cole Holcomb's fine. I like him. He works already. He's, he's pretty fast. He, he plays at a high level and he's got a motor and all those things. They act like he's Mike Singletary. I mean, <laughs> I, they are really excited about Cole Holcomb being a middle linebacker yeah. and like Mike Cole Holcomb being your third linebacker is a really good thing. Like being the, the captain of your defense and your number one alpha. I'm, I'm not sure. Jamin Davis, they they don't acknowledge what happened last year or just think it was a complete fluke but it was real and it was a problem and he looked like a sixth round pick and so they think he's going to be really good i can't believe they didn't push him i can't believe they didn't bring someone in to compete i can't believe they don't have a safety net i have no idea what they're thinking but they're smarter than me so maybe they they've got this right and jamin davis is going to look like an nfl linebacker and, and not be a problem uh, Benjamin St. Juice. There's a lot of eggs in those baskets. That, that basket. They, they they threw. You know, they they said at the end of cutdown day. Well, we just signed two corners. One of them's last name is Wild Goose, and and they got cut by by a couple of practice squads. Essentially, the Jets and the 49ers. And that's two of your six corners right now, or five corners, or whatever it was. I, I don't understand that. That's ridiculous. But Benjamin St. Juice, who's like a long limbed not a twitchy guy is playing in the nickel, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And they've just decided after he was hurt most of last year that he's really good. Okay, cool. Let's see it. William Jackson was really, really up and down and bad at times half of last season. They don't think that's who he is. Okay, cool. He's your cornerback one. Let's see it. They chose to do nothing to upgrade a, a defense that was six to last in DVOA last year. And they're telling us that we're wrong about the defense. Well, cool. We get to watch the games and they're coming next week. So let's see if they're right. I, I just, it, it is confound. I've never been more confused by an off season plan. It's almost like to Kevin's point, like he's right. They have to be a lot better on defense, but they, they're worse from a personnel standpoint. And Jack Del Rio's job's on the line. I wouldn't want to be Jack Del Rio. It's almost like he, I don't even know how he survives this season. I, it's just, it's really weird to me. It, it's it's almost like, look, we all get it. They had to get a quarterback. It's almost like they spent 99% of their capital, mental and asset-wise, to get that guy. And then everything else, like, I hey, will figure it out. I mean, the fact that the only other main free agents they signed were all Carol, former Carolina guys. And even bringing Bostic back is essentially the same thing, right? He's a former Ron Rivera guy here. It's it's like that. We're, you know, we had to get that and everything else we feel pretty good about. And I'm with so you. That's another one really quick, Ben. You mentioned uh, former Panthers. So they knew, presumably, that Chase Young was going to miss four games. Because if not, that's a story, right? And yeah. they found out late. But if that's the case, your answer at defensive end was F.A. Obata? I mean, I did, nothing they did made sense to me. Nothing. I, I think, you know, first of all, I, I agree with everything you said, Grant. Uh, you can't address everything. It's, I mean, if you don't love players that are there when your pick comes up, if you don't love some of the players in free agency, you know, sometimes it's just, well, we wanted to address it, but we really couldn't. There, there weren't solutions out there for us. I don't know that that's their answer. I think their answer is, well, last year we played Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Matt Ryan, Pat Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, Derek Carr, Dak Prescott twice, and we aren't playing those people next year. This totally. year. So we're going to – we do like our talent. We do think we've got really good edge rushers with Chase Young healthy and sweat. We love John Allen. We think he's a star. We do like our corners, and we think that, you know, by the way, remember the emphasis from Del Rio on the secondary people not participating in offseason activities in 2021 is a big reason why they were discombobulated and they had all of these communication issues last year. But I think, you know, it can be there weren't really any solutions for linebackers, an example, 
Although I don't know that that is the answer. I think it's they do believe in there's guys, but like you said, we'll see. They're going to play the games, and we're going to find out if Jamin Davis is a complete bust as a first round pick. We're going to find that out this year because they're not asking him, <clears throat> excuse me, to think, you know, before every snap as a middle linebacker. They're letting him play this year. So we're, we're going to find out about him. We're going to find out if they were right not to add at linebacker, even if they say that there weren't many solutions we're going to find out if Montez Sweat by the way can bounce back because he is healthy and he wasn't very good last year you know over that first eight game stretch um and we're going to find out if they're right about guys like Bobby McCain and, and William Jackson I think the Jackson thing's really interesting because the the, the Super Bowl runner-ups last year had zero interest in re-signing him and I made that point when they signed him that I thought it was odd that a team like Cincinnati, which wasn't necessarily built to win, although I was wrong, um, it didn't look like it in the moment, uh, it had zero interest. And the stories out of Cincinnati were zero chance that, they, that they're that interested in bringing William Jackson back. So I think there's a lot on his performance this year. So Davis and Jackson are kind of barometers for their personnel and their, and their player picking um, of the last few years. And, and these are big years for, for both of those players. Yeah, I, I think Jackson has had a pretty good summer to my eye. And I think the secondary in general has looked good. You know, you go back to that Kansas City game, so many of the, the plays that Mahomes was making was him buying time because he was struggling to find guys down the field. Ultimately, he made well, he plays. got pressure, too. Right, right. And ultimately, he made plays because he's pretty good. Um But I, I do think you, you brought up Montez Sweat. I think he's such an interesting player this year. You're right. He gets he gets a bit of a pass off of last year because the injury, the tragedy in his family, and also Chase Young was the bigger, obvious guy who was not good last year at that position. But Montez wasn't great. He's he's still been inconsistent. But now this year, without Chase Young for at least a few games, they're going to need him to to bring the heat off the edge. And there are games where you're like, wow, or moments in practice where you're like this guy is absolutely crushing people. And then there's other times where you're like, wait that I haven't mentioned Montez wet today. And I think that his level of consistency, we give the defensive line like such a pass in general, because they obviously have a lot of talent, but if this thing is going to come back to, to a, a, at least middle of the pack, the, the, that line is going to have to carry the way and sweat. I think in particular is really going to have to have a, a pretty impactful year coming off the edge. Um, for, Grant for you, is there somebody, cause we, we typically all talk about the same names. Is there somebody for you who maybe we don't talk about as much sort of like, Montez Sweat to a degree that you or, or it can be him if you want but that you're kind of like hey you know I'm really keeping my eye on this guy um that's interesting I mean I, I think that just in general to your point defensively I, I don't like the idea of, of using the term scrubs because like these are all pro players but I'm, I'm I'm making a larger point the Rams build their team last year and won a Super Bowl with what is being called now a stars and scrubs model where you pay big and you have like really elite talent and then very little behind them. And you need to stay healthy essentially. And I think Washington's defense is kind of structured in that way where their defensive line has to be a star, you know, all those guys. And you have the injury to young and hopefully he's back week five, six and, and wreaks havoc and, and plays like he's supposed to, but sweat pain Allen. I mean, those guys have to be exceptional. Another guy I didn't mention is Fidarian Mathis. I think he's massive to this team this year. Uh, Kevin mentioned this. Last year, you played really good quarterbacks, and I 100% believe that what you said, Kevin's correct, which is they feel like that playing softer QB schedule and an easier schedule altogether is kind of their offseason addition on defense. I, I really believe that. The problem with that is when you play an adult, you get worked. I mean, we, we kind of saw that for a couple drives against Kansas City. So, I think there's a larger philosophical conversation to be had, which is like, at what point this is year three with Rivera being in control of everything. And if you're able to beat Jacksonville and Detroit this way, but then you get exposed by the good teams and you're eight and nine, like, is that where they should be at this point? Uh, having said that, that's, a, that's a different topic probably for a different day, but D tackle Ben, you know, they, they allowed settle to go to Buffalo for not a lot of money. They cut Ioannidis. Uh, they have blown out a D-line coach who a bunch of those guys had problems with. And 
they have decided that Fedarian Mathis is is going to be integral. I mean, you look, Ioannidis played 55% of snaps last year. There's a lot of reps for Wise and for Mathis at a position that's critical to this team because, as Kevin said, you know, you're playing a lot of teams that are going to come downhill and run the ball on you. So that's an area where I would say I, I, I've circled it as a massive storyline. Kevin, is there somebody for you who is, uh, you're, you know, beyond the obvious sort of names that you're uh, intrigued by this year? Um, again, I mean, it's like, to me, Wentz is the big story and everything else is, you know, distant second. And I understand the defense and the Jack Del Rio and last year and, and, that, and that's a big part of what they'll be. But in this league, if you don't get outstanding quarterback play or for them improved quarterback play, um, it's not really going to matter. I mean, what's the best they could win? Eight or nine games if they've got a dominant defense, like people thought last year before the season started, we were looking at the 85 Bears, which was going to be an exaggeration based on what they were going to be facing to begin with. But I'll give you just an intriguing person right now, and that is Scott Turner, because they, by trading for Wentz and then by drafting Dotson, by drafting Robinson Jr., and obviously we had the issue, you know, but the intent was to give, you know, Carson Wentz and Scott Turner a chance to succeed on offense. And I do think I would actually, like last year, I think I said I'd be really surprised if, like, they weren't good on defense. And maybe it wasn't going to be reflected statistically from 2020 because of the quarterbacks they faced, you know, you know the, the Mullins and the – Danucci's, et cetera, and the Ryan Finley's and, and all the others that they faced, Nate Sudfeld. Um, but I thought we, we would still watching it feel like they had improved. And that was a massive disappointment because they regressed. This year, it would be a big disappointment if they're not much better and much more dynamic on offense, assuming health. Um, and they put all of their eggs into the Carson Wentz basket and into all of the toys surrounding Carson Wentz so I think Scott Turner which my gut is is that he knows what he's doing and that he's going to be pretty good at this at this but I do think that unlike last year with Taylor Heineke and you know the seven or eight quarterbacks that he's had in the two years as a full-time OC this is the year where we're going to get a read on whether or not Scott Turner is really good at doing this or not and by the way if he is really good at doing this and they improve, and they're one of the more dynamic offenses in the league, and they win 10 games, and they're the sixth seed, he's going to be mentioned as a head coaching candidate. Um, and and b- because of his name in particular, and because of a little bit the track record of just these assistant offensive coaches becoming head coaches coming out of, out of this franchise. But I think Scott Turner's interesting, and I think they put all of their eggs into this we got to be better offensively. We had a guy that was limited at quarterback. We didn't have enough healthy weapons around him. We're going to add another guy. Remember last year, their addition was Curtis Samuel, and then they drafted De'Ami Brown, who Scott Turner loved. He really loved Elijah Moore. I think if, if Moore had been there, um, that they, they would have added him. But they got to be better on offense, too, because they put a lot of investment into that. Yeah, I, I like the Scott Turner call as well. I, I think it's a really interesting year, and for all the reasons you just said. Um, let, let me pivot away from the roster per se and just talk about this organization as a whole in terms of where it fits within the local landscape. You, you two are obviously, you know, front and center on the pulse of this area with with these teams. And I remember a few years ago when the Nats and the Caps were, you know, title contenders and actually winning championships there was this notion, almost a gleeful one in some factions to say, okay, here we go. This is where the, 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 well, they had a different team name then, but the Washington football team or whatever we were calling them at that point. um, This is where their, their, their stranglehold on the town is going to start to fade that these other teams are going to start to catch up, particularly the, the, the net. And I always thought that was insane in the moment because it was taking the, the, the Washington football team to be, pedestrian at best with controversial owner to for anybody else to even and these other teams had to win a title for even to be a debate and it was still not much of a debate and i assume that you guys as you take calls and things like that by and large it's commanders only and even now it's been you know 
we we talk it's nothing but negative headlines in terms of the ownership side of the building the football team is eh, like to this to, to this point under Rivera and yet now as I am a full-fledged radio host myself <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the uh you know it's pretty obvious to me that it's still commanders but you guys are in this day-to-day and you see numbers and all these kinds of things I mean Grant we can start with you because I know you have more of a of a connection with the Nets and caps, but like, do you, I know the popularity in this, this football team has waned. Is it still though, clearly the number one in town or what, what am I, what am I missing here? Yeah, I would say that it is. I mean, it benefits immensely right now, honestly, from the fact that the nationals who were the, the hard charger there have completely fallen apart at the seams. Right. I mean, by design almost, but since the, the 19 world series where they gained so much ground and, you know, people were partying by the thousands on half street for all of those playoff games. You know, they're the worst team in baseball there and what's going to be a lengthy rebuild. So that's going to benefit the commanders. I I will just tell you though, that while yes, they have the stranglehold and they're the most important team in town, this is nothing like it used to be. I mean, it's not even close in my opinion. Uh, I was watching a highlight with a buddy of mine randomly of uh, Santana Moss touchdown catch in, you know, like 2006 or seven or something. And then a Chris Cooley touchdown catch in 2008 or whatever it was. And FedEx field was packed and it was burgundy and gold and people were hopping and it would look like a sellout crowd. And I mean, th- this thing for anyone that's been here, and I'm not talking about like you and Kevin with the Super Bowls that I'm not even old enough to remember, but I'm saying, FedEx field when people cared and went there and tailgated by the tens of thousands and they watched Cornelius Griffin and, and, you know, Kedrick Golston early in his career, like on the defensive line or Ronaldo win or something. And, and Clinton Portis and Jason Campbell, this thing has just completely come apart. And, and what has really stunned me, and I'd be curious to get Kevin's thoughts on this. I was so wrong about this. I did not think changing the name would hurt them as much as in my perception based on what I experienced, it has. I always said, if you take Coca-Cola off the can and you just put another word on the can and I get to drink it and it tastes the same, it won't affect me at all. And this has completely changed my mind because Coca-Cola is the thing that I had at Christmas in the glass bottle. And it's, you know, I remember going and buying it and there's something to it. And, And with the name Redskins gone and then football team. And maybe it's that they had three in a couple of years and they dragged out the process or maybe it's how they did it. I don't know, but there are, uh, there was more damage done and there are more people that are annoyed and bothered and who care less because you used to, you used to Andy Dufresne crawl your way through all the crap because it was the thing that you watched with your mom and your grandpa and you cared and you loved it. And it's, it's really not the thing anymore. It's now this weird name that you don't really have an attachment to. I'm stunned by how negatively impactful the name change was. I thought it would not be a big deal. And I think I was wrong. Hope is a good thing, red. It's a good thing. (laughs) Um, You know, I, uh, I mean, I obviously in Grant and I in, in the, you know, medium that we're in, we, we live this every day. And Ben, you do too. Um, I, I had a, a life before broadcasting and I've talked about this so many times as it's related to the name conversation over the years. Uh, we, we, in a company that I was with, we did a lot of, a lot of branding and marketing work um, with Procter and Gamble. And I spent a lot of time out in Cincinnati and I learned a little bit about sort of brand attachment and loyalty to a longstanding brand. And when you change something significant about that brand, there's massive risk. And that's what Dan understood, I think, all along, um, is that changing the name, you know, you you it's you have this thing in, in branding and marketing called emotional detachment. And the only way to overcome it is to have a great product right from the jump. So it's really important for them as a business this year that they have a winning team, like a legitimate winning team or the loss of the name. I thought I always felt would be devastating. And I think it's also not even hit home yet. I still don't think it's going to really be jarring to most people 
until there are regular season games because we're in this bubble of draft and free agency and training camp and preseason. Most people tune in the day after Labor Day and they're ready to watch real football and they're going to see this commander's, I, you know, uh, this commander's logo. They're going to see it, you know, posted on the Chirons on, on, on Fox and CBS and, it's going to say commanders versus giants and commanders versus cowboys. And I think I also think it's generational. I think that their target now is a younger fan who had has not made up their mind on who they really want their NFL team to be. But back to the original question, Ben, the um, it's the, the fan base is a third a fourth, a fifth of what it was. By the way, I think Grant made a really good point. It's not just compared to the Super Bowl years. Uh, you know, in 2016, they went to Dallas for a Thanksgiving Day game as a 6-3-1 team against a 9-1 Cowboys uh, uh, team. That game did like a 42 local rating you know, television ratings wise, it was like off the charts. I think it's still to this day, it's the highest Fox Thanksgiving day game of all time. Um, It was like this rivalry. It's Thanksgiving day. Both teams are good for the first time in a while. That's only six years ago. And yeah, the stadium was packed for some of those games. That Raiders Sunday night game in 2017. I mean, there were 75,000, 80,000 people in the stadium. So we have seen an erosion of this fan base that is just unbelievably jaw-dropping. It's impossible to think that where they were even six or seven years ago, they could be where they are. And certainly it's impossible to think where they are now compared to 30 years ago. Um, it's, all, it's all because of losing on the field and being an utter embarrassment off of it. And this is a market with more intelligent people, more affluence, um, and those people have moved on. I mean, they do not they they not only lost, you know, like let's just say three or two two to three fifths of their fan base. They lost their highest revenue revenue generating revenue generating portion of their fan base. They're starting from scratch. Now, with that said, on Sunday when they play Jacksonville the number of people that watch that game will still be five times the number of people that watch a Nats, Caps, or Wizards game, you know, during the regular season or even a playoff game uh, for that matter. Um, and I always think it's funny, Grant. I, I don't know that if you and I have ever had this conversation. I We would both benefit significantly from, you know, the, the football team being great, which they've never been during my, you know, life of doing what I've been doing, nor, nor yours. Um, we would both benefit from that. But I think sometimes the conversation about the team is more interesting to people than the games, than going to games themselves. I mean, they had 15 to 20,000 people in the stadium for some of those games last year. You and I both know that our audience, whether it's on radio or podcast, far exceeds that. So it's crazy, but there's this weird thing with this team where people kind of wallow together um, in the misery of the team and then rejoice for the few moments that you have to do that together that, uh, you know, we'd be much better off if they won. Don't get me wrong. Um, but we're still hanging on with the one of the worst teams in professional sports over the last, you know, five years, 10 years, certainly the, the last 23 somehow. But yeah, I think to answer your question, long way to get to, they're still number one. They are, but they wouldn't be in a good sports town. And let me say this too, Kevin. But let me say this, because I, I think most of what you just said is, is, I mean, it's so correct and it's just so true, right? So two things. First, on the five times as many people will watch and, and then they're the biggest show in town, so to speak. That's an NFL thing too, right? No I doubt. I mean, year over year, they put out this number that their value went up like 33% or whatever it was this year. And I think the league's average value for every team went up 31%. 
the NFL's a machine. They own Sundays. They took it from the church. Like you can't beat the NFL. Okay. It's the biggest, it's the best. And in the same way that Dan Snyder has run the team horribly for decades and is only seeing his team's worth grow. Yes. You're going to outdo wizards, Nats, caps, all that stuff, because the NFL destroys. And it's not even that your fan base isn't, as you said, it's at a jaw dropping rate dwindling, but people are just going to watch football because they're going to watch football. But I love the last point too, which is you, you get how many actual legitimate commanders fans, you know, my wife, her brother, their season ticket holders, they tailgate, they go to every game. How many of them is there at this point? Maybe 15, you know, eight, somewhere between 10 and 20,000 or something like that at any given game. Now, there are more people watching for sure, yeah. but there are so many people who have sworn off the stadium who won't go to games. I hear from callers almost every show, but certainly several times a week who say, I haven't been to the stadium since. And it's always 05, 07, 09, 14, 16, whatever it is that just won't go back there. So uh, there's, you know, we're not going to solve all the problems in one combo, but there's a, there's a lot of moving parts here, but you have, a dormant part of this fan base as well that they can't go to the stadium or won't, they don't want to, they may or may not like the new name. You know, you're talking about a team that has been completely turned over in terms of players. There's nine guys left. I think since Ron Rivera got here a couple years ago, like your attachment to this thing is just not strong. And if you can't go have those experiences and be at games and be around people, hugging strangers, like at some point, it's not going to keep fueling itself. That's the gas that goes in the car. So I just, I don't know what the answer is. Yeah. I mean, and I, I think this year, and I think Jason understands this, this is a big year. They've got to, you know, they've got to be a competitive team. If the, if it's another seven and 10, six and 11, not in contention, new name, it's a disaster for them. Uh, I, I don't, but you're right. I mean, how much lower can it go? It can go lower. I, a lot of my friends, and I'm talking about season ticket holders for years, club seat, you know, part of, of you know, uh, of, of this fan base from the womb, they don't give a shit anymore. They go out and play golf on Sunday morning, and then they come back and watch the NFL. And so uh, it's... A winner is certainly going to create a new, some new momentum with a part of, uh, the, uh, with a new part of the fan base, like a, a younger group. I think that's their target. I was asked by somebody, and I've shared this with with my audience on the podcast and on the radio show. I was asked, I don't know, six seven months ago. Grant, you may have been asked the same thing. Um, you know, I I, I I got together with some people, and they just said, "What what do we need to do to bring?" your group back. And I just said, I'm not sure that you can anymore. And that's a really negative and, and, you know, a pessimistic answer. But I do think that people have moved on for good, especially with the name change, that there is a certain segment of people that used to be diehards that are never coming back. But I do think that winning a lot of people will certainly tune in. I don't know that they'll ever have that passion level that they used to have, but I think that they'll tune in whether or not they'll buy, you know, merchandise and buy tickets to go see the games. I think that that's really now going to be a younger, undecided, independent voter category that they've got to go after, you know, essentially looking at it as almost like the independent vote. Well, and I was going to say that we always hear, you know, winning cures all. And certainly that's true to a degree, but I think it's got to be sustained because to the point that your guys are making yes. that so many of the people, my friends too, who grew up here and all that, they are just so checked out. And look, let's look back after the 2020 season. I know they had a losing record, but you make the playoffs, you, you give Tom Brady a battle, you have Chase Young as this really exciting player headlining this team and nobody was, and, and, and still nobody was coming to the games last year. It's not like that, in a, and I know that wasn't a winning season per se, but you know, whatever, you can talk yourself into the playoffs. I think it has to be multiple years of winning and not just like squeaking into the playoffs like they seemingly do most of the time in the last 
10, 15 years, they've got to actually sustain it. And that's just to overcome the negativity with the ownership and all that stuff, the name change. Yeah. So, but by the way, b- before Grant answers, let me, let me just make sure. Cause I buried the lead. What, what could totally change everything is if Snyder didn't own the team. He's the number one barrier for everything that they're trying to do out there. Um, he is a roadblock to anything positive. No one in business wants to do business with him. The fans, they have made up their mind on him. And as long as he's associated with it, they've got too, they've got too much to overcome to ever get what uh, the, at least an older fan, you know, let's just say older than 40, older than 45, to get them back into the loop as long as he's still associated with it. And even then, I'm still not sure what people are going to, 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 to how they're going to feel if he's gone, but the name's gone too. That's that's the other factor here. But anyway, go ahead. It would give them a chance though. And it's probably the only thing that could resuscitate any version of what they had previously. And and I'm not talking about, as Kevin said earlier, right? Like I, I always try to point this out because I think for people of my generation, this is important. Like the 80s and the beginning of the 90s with Gibbs, which was the apex of this thing, You had people like me who grew up and from being a toddler until I was a teenager, all I cared about and my only passion and all my buddies every year for Christmas, all we wanted was Redskin stuff like that still exists while they sucked for a long, 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 long time. And their stadium, which wasn't good since right after it was opened, was still packed and people came and they watched and in droves, people still supported and cared. And that's all gone now, too. I think that there's a miscalculation from, you know, acting like, well, back in the 80s or back in the early 90s. No, 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 no. This is I mean, this is over a handful of years that this thing's gotten really sideways. This is over 10 or 12 years. This this thing was legit not that long ago. But to, to, to Ben's point, I would say just if, if we're talking about like where they go from here, I guess, shifting it forward, I think that strategically right now, they have decided that this is like a new thing. That this is that this commander's thing is maybe if you're a kid, you think the word is cool or the, the jerseys are dope or something like that, that maybe that's the way they're trending. I mean, they hired a social media influencer. No disrespect to this person. I don't really know who this person is or what she does, but like she'll come to the game and post a couple of times on Instagram and they'll pay her a ton of money to do it. And like no team's done that. And I don't know what the point of that is, but it tells me that they are into this millennial, like generation iPod, whatever, you know, iPad, whatever the kids are doing now where they're trying to attract eyeballs to this new commander's thing. And maybe that's smart because Kevin's generation more so than even mine has checked out. I think you could still get mine back potentially. The one thing I've always said, other than Snyder. So you kind of went with the, the gavel and said, it's Dan. And I agree with that. I do think if somehow, some way, and this is not a thing that will happen, but like just hypothetically, if they traded for Aaron Rodgers a year ago, Russell Wilson, maybe not even, but to some extent this year, if, if they had Tom Brady, like I do believe that's a butts and seats move where that kind of splash would be a game changer at the quarterback position. There's only one spot where you can do it. Doesn't happen at coach. Doesn't happen in the GM booth. It's quarterback. And the fact that... Now, you were saying, Ben, last year well, people weren't that excited or whatever. It's Taylor Heineke, man. He was on his couch. Like, how could you be? Carson Wentz is the butt of jokes, and, and maybe not fairly all the time. But as good as it's been is Cousins, who for whatever reason is so polarizing. And, and he put together a string of three years that no quarterback here has ever had. So I, I do think that that could be a way for them to – put a bunch of hay in the barn is if somehow they were able to get one of the great quarterbacks in the league. I think that could be something, but I know this, you know, they won their four straight games last year in like boring fashion, 17 to 15, a couple times in that stretch was a score. And they came back to play Dallas. I think it was. And I remember talking to someone with the team who was really surprised that there wasn't more of a turnout or more excitement or like that the house wasn't packed. And I thought, 
you think that a couple of wins against the Raiders <laughs> right. and, and random right. teams is going to fix this? I mean, you're, you don't understand what's going on. So it is to Ben's point. It's so much bigger than having a, a nine and eight or a 10 and seven, or, or even in God forbid, an 11 win season, which they haven't done since I was in diapers. Yeah. yeah that's it's. And by the way, to your point on the quarterback thing, it's a really good point. Like the only thing that overcame what was a disastrous Ursay ownership situation in Indianapolis was drafting Peyton Manning and him turning into a Hall of Fame quarterback. So if you either acquired that or somehow stumbled onto it in a draft situation and you ended up with a generational quarterback, that could overcome you know, what is, you know, a horrible ownership. uh, Look at Griffin. When people in 2012 thought you found the guy, look at what that year did. I I mentioned my wife and her brother. They still chase the high of 2012. When they're (laughs) tailgating, they're sitting there telling stories like Uncle Rico throwing the ball over the mountain about 2012, literally. They're still doing it today because of that season. And that was a fleeting two-thirds of a year fun little thing. But imagine if they actually had a guy at a league. The whole league, Zabe always used to say, it's a TV show about quarterbacks. If they had Rodgers or, you know, whoever it is next, let's say somehow they get C.J. Stroud and he's the best quarterback in the NFL for 10 years. I refuse to believe that this place couldn't couldn't bounce again. You know, I, I do think that it could happen. Yeah, the issue is with whom? Like, would it be a younger group? Would it be a group, you know, um, that's that's different from the old group? But yeah, no, uh, uh, it, it's true. You end up like in 2012 if they had if they had landed on Andrew Luck. But see, they, I say that, and Ben and I have had this conversation before. RG3 was never the right guy, obviously in hindsight. But even if they had drafted the right guy, you still have an owner that would insert himself or has in the past that the what he did in in sort of separating RG3 from. The rest of the team and the coaching staff was destructive, you know, as it was on draft night in 2019 when he told his people to take the kid that went to high school with his son. So even though I do believe what you said, and I've said it many times, that, uh, you know, a, a, a generational quarterback, if you stumbled onto one, could change everything, you still have that guy that could fuck it all up. You know, he's done totally. it before. Um, and because he's there you can't get the guy you know it's almost an impossibility right because Russell Wilson you know ultimately right no veterans coming here who's a hall of famer to be no no one's picking this place and and the draft and developing of a kid is almost an impossibility because it's a dysfunctional you're you're bringing a child home to a house where they'll never thrive right well Ben's Ben's survey Ben's survey of GM's you know, spoke to that, um, you know, that he put out on The Athletic the other day is just that Snyder, you, you, anybody with a choice still more likely than not isn't coming here. Oh, the owner does matter. So, yeah, to your point, you'd have to stumble onto, you know, a, a drafting situation where somehow the guy's just too good to be wrecked by bad ownership and, and bad development. Um, I'm gonna pull the line on YouTube radio guys that you guys have used on me because, but this is true. I've got about a minute left <laughs> um, before Ron Rivera walks in here. Give me your your just your record and just you know a quick a quick capsule of what you think of the season, Grant. If you want to go first, go for it. Yeah, I'm gonna be really boring and and, and hedge. I had him at ten and seven. I just I'm too worried about the defense and and the offense isn't great either. And somehow I feel better about it. I'll say nine and eight, and that's based on, again, I think their schedule is very simple and easy uh, early. They should be two and oh, they'll probably somehow be one and one, but uh, I think they go nine and eight. And I think my storyline again, going into the off season is how they got there, right? I think Wentz will probably be good enough that they're back in that business next season, which probably isn't ideal, (laughs) frankly, because you'd rather be so bad that you trade up and you go get your quarterback or so good that, you know, he's the guy. And I, I think it'll be kind of a middling year where you run it back with Wentz and, and you try to incrementally inch forward again. 
Yeah, that's where I am too. I mean, I I think I'm going to pick eight, eight, and one on my show later this week. And also, by the way, picking eight, eight, and one, you've got to give the game in which you think they'll they'll tie. And I've got at the Thursday nighter at Chicago in a dreadful thirteen <laughs> to thirteen uh, tie game. But I, I I don't see them winning double digit games. Uh, I just don't think they're as good as Philly or Dallas in the division. Um, I don't have a lot of confidence in Wentz. Uh, I don't have a lot of confidence that they'll be massively improved on defense, but I don't think they stink, you know? So that's, that's sort of the quandary for me. So I'll go eight and nine. I'll go eight and nine as my pick, but you know, maybe, you know, they get to December, you know, at least in contention for the seven seed. Fair enough. All right. You guys rock uh, there. I just got the heads up. He's coming in. So let me jump. Uh, Kevin Sheehan morning team 980 plus the Kevin Sheehan podcast. Grant Paulson, of course, afternoons on 1067. The fan you guys rule. We'll talk later. See you guys. Thanks, Ben. Thanks. Thanks. See you. Grant.